Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Number six, look at uh, verse 13. Now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall bring the offering to the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb, a year old without defect, think of Jesus, for a burnt offering, and one ewe lamb, a year old without defect, for a sin offering, and one ram without defect for a peace offering. A basket of unleavened cakes, Jesus was unleavened, he was without sin. A fine flour mixed with oil, an unleavened wafer spread with oil, along with their grain offering and their libations. Those are drink offerings poured on top. Then the priest shall present them before the Lord and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. He shall also offer the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, together with a basket of unleavened cakes. The priest shall likewise offer its grain, offer its, offering its libation, The Nazarite shall then shave his dedicated head of hair at the doorway of the tent of meeting that would be in Jerusalem and take the dedicated hair of his head and put it on the fire which is under the sacrifice of of peace offerings. And the priest shall take the ram's shoulder when it has been boiled and one unleavened cake out of the basket, one unleavened wafer, and shall put them on the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his dedicated hair. Then the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. It is, a ho- it is holy for the priest, together with the breast offered by waving and the thigh offered by lifting up. And afterward, the Nazarite may drink wine, so his vow of separation is over. This is the law of the Nazarite who vows his offering to the Lord. My understanding, understanding is that typically people would do about a 30-day vow of this kind of nature, according to his separation, in addition to what else he can afford, according to his vow, which he takes, so he shall do according to the law of his separation. And then notice what God says to Moses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you shalom, give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. The famous ironic blessing, which many pastors use at the end of a service, is actually tied to the vow of the Nazarite. And I don't know how far to take this, but I'll tell you this as a student of the Bible, I think that there's some special way that maybe God is saying he will reveal his face or a special blessing that he will give to us as we draw near to God. What's the Bible promise? He will draw near to us. If you want to go deeper as a Christian, and you should go back to Acts chapter 18, God will meet you there. I'll guarantee it. Because that's what the Bible teaches. You draw near to him. You say to him, Lord, I want to go deeper in my life. And Paul had been walking with the Lord for 30 years, uh, or uh, possibly 30 years at this point, at least when he wrote Philippians, and still he wanted to go deeper. Can you think of why Paul would want to go deeper? How, How a guy like him, could anybody be more dedicated? Yes, Paul thought he could. 
And I think every Christian who is maturing in their faith knows we got a ways to go. None of us have arrived, amen? Not one of us have arrived. And so Paul, I think, is saying, I want to know him better. And I think he was so grateful for the way the Lord had encouraged him. This was the best way for him to express it in a Jewish way. Lord, I'm going to take the Nazarite vow. And so notice what happens now. So he has his haircut. He's keeping the vow. Verse 19, and they came to Ephesus. So Paul has now exited Corinth and gone to another major city. We'll talk about in the coming weeks some details about Ephesus. And he left them. That is, he left Priscilla and Aquila there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Remember, Paul was fearful, uh, as we saw in Corinth, but then he stayed there for a while. He was recharged, re-encouraged, refreshed by the Lord, and back to the ministry he goes, reasoning with the Jews. And, and he found something shocking that wasn't typical, typical for Paul. He's in Ephesus, this major city, and they asked him to stay for a long time. Paul had to be shocked. You, what? You don't want me to get out of town? You, you don't have a rock that you're about to throw at me? You want me to what? Can you repeat that? Just so the, let, me, let me dial this thing in. Did you say stay? Did you say you'd like me to stay at your house and you want to hear more about Christ? Yeah. Paul? We want you to stay. And Paul did not consent. What? Finally, he's got a very nice invitation, and he said no. Now, some of you may need need to take a next step going deeper, but before you can go deeper, sometimes there's an interim step. See, Paul cut his hair in Sancria, and Josephus tells us, that it was lawful for Jews to do the haircut outside Jerusalem, but then they had a period of time, about 30 days, where they had to bring the hair to Jerusalem to the temple. So you you could do the haircut, you could finish that one aspect, but you had to dedicate the hair at the temple. And Paul knew that in order to finish the vow, he had to go to Jerusalem, so he couldn't stay in Ephesus, and it had to be tempting. So I think he took the hair, put it in a little Ziploc bag, first century Ziploc bag, and said, you know, no, I got to finish the vow. Is there something, I ask you, that may be an interim step that's keeping you from the next step? Something that you need to finish. Maybe some uh, commitment that you made that is yet undone. Well, for Paul, he said, look, I can't stay now. He took his leave of them, look at 21, and he said, I will return to you again. This was in Paul's vocabulary, should be in ours, if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Now, traveling in these days was not easy, as you know. He didn't board a plane. Uh, He got on ships, and many of these trips were arduous, and then you had to walk from certain locations. It wasn't easy to go fulfill the vow that he had made, but he was going to fulfill it. And I ask you, are you? You know, in this culture in America, we're pretty cheap about our commitments, frankly. We make commitments and it's so easy for us to say, ah, it's too hard. And we're not getting on ships sailing hundreds of miles to go back and honor God with what we've committed to. Frankly, in in many cases, it's a lot less uh, struggle and trouble for us. There's a variant reading in 21, New King James, King James, a, a variation in the manuscript says, he took leave of them and he said, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing, 
and he sailed from Ephesus, and the feast that he would be keeping is probably the Passover, but he had to go to Jerusalem to fulfill the, fa- the vow. James writes in James four thirteen through 15, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, we'll spend a year there, we'll engage in business, we'll make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this and that. I hope that's in your vocabulary. I hope if you're making plans right now, that always comes under the sovereign umbrella of God's will, that you say, you know what, if God wills, this is what I'll do. Because I want to be about his agenda. I want to be about his business. We had a a men's retreat one time, pastor stood up on the, the stage and he took an aerosol can and he sprayed it up into the air and he, wrote, he read James 4. He said, your life is but a vapor and he went, and we all watched the vapor in the air and it dissipated within seconds. He said, that's the biblical image of your life here. Then he took a long rope, he put it all the way across the stage, it was bigger than this, and he drew a little red line on the rope at the end, and then he, he drew it across the stage, and he said, you see this little red line on the rope? That's how long you have to live on the planet. You see the rest of the rope? That's eternity. I ask you, what are you living for? That which is really going to last, are you... Are you putting up treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy, where thieves can't break in and take it away? You see, this is what this text is all about. And so Paul says, look, I'm going to come back to you if God wills. And Paul would. He's the first case study. Are you a mature believer, but you want to go deeper? Perhaps you should consider maybe the next 30 days what you might do. For some of you, it's not going to be giving up grape juice it may be golf. <gasps> Sorry, that was very personal to me. I can't even believe that came out of my mouth. It may be something else. It may be something that you may be thinking, you know what, this is not bringing me closer to God. I'm not talking about taking vows now, just so I am clear. I'm talking about just your heart saying, Lord, I want to draw near to you, and this thing's in the way, or this thing's pushing me backward. You know what it is. God knows what it is. Verse 22, and when he had landed at Caesarea, that would be the port now to enter the area of Israel or Jerusalem, he'd have to go about 65 miles inland to go to Jerusalem. He went up. You always go up to Jerusalem because it's on the Temple Mount and it's elevated, it's a high city. And I believe he went to Jerusalem. At this point, he went up. That's the language of going to Jerusalem. He greeted the church, probably the church at Jerusalem, and then went down to Antioch. This is, you might want to write in your margin, the completion of the second missionary journey. He started in Antioch. That was the sending church. He finishes in Antioch, going through Jerusalem, I think, to finish his vow. And having spent some time there, he departed and he passed successfully through the Galatian region where he had planted several churches, remember, in Phrygia. He was strengthening all the disciples. Sometimes when you take that interim step, you're going to find you get to finish some things, you get to strengthen other believers. And here's a third point. It's going to lead into case study number two. You open the door for other people to be used. How many of you are control freaks? How many of you are not, not only backseat drivers, you're side, street, side seat drivers, right? <laughs> I have, a, I have a, a boy that's learning to drive. He has his permit. Parents, pray, please. 
And so you know that, hey, rookie drivers are rookie drivers, but you find yourself wanting those controls that come in the, the, the car where they're learning how to drive. You know, you want the extra brake and you want that wheel just in case, right? But your prayer life, okay, Lord. You know, you, somebody described it as you're trying to hit an imaginary brake that's not there. Fall down! Right? It's kind of how we feel. So, I think what Paul's step here did is it opened up the door for somebody else. His name is Apollos. Now a certain Jew, he's Jewish, 24, named Apollos. It's a shortened form of the the name Apollonius. He was an Alexandrian by birth. So he was Jewish but born in Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, Alexandria, Egypt was probably next to Athens, the second most intellectual center of the world, very large population. One third of the population in Alexandria, Egypt, was Jewish, and it was sat right by the mouth of the Nile River. And he was an Alexandrian. That Alexandria was the place where they excavated a uh, incredible find, a seven hundred thousand volume library found at Alexandria, Egypt. Philo studied at Alexandria, and he was working on symbolic interpretations of the Bible, a contemporary of Jesus, Philo. And also, the Septuagint was completed in Alexandria, Egypt, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, about 250 B.C. So here's Apollos. He's an Alexandrian by birth. He's around all this education. He was an eloquent man. He could speak of eloquent in speech, but also a man who's very bright. He came to Ephesus, and I want you to see this description of this second case study. He, Apollos, was mighty in the scriptures. If I asked you, if I asked a friend of yours, one of the closest people to you, how would you finish this sentence of your friend? He or she is mighty in the... How do you think they'd fill in the blank? She is mighty in... Crossword puzzles. He is mighty in the newspaper. There's only one way to become mighty in the scriptures, and it is not by osmosis. If you do this, it will not seep into your head. You are actually going to have to read the Bible to know the Bible. And this man, the word mighty is dunatos in Greek. It's connected to the word dunamis, It's where we get the English words dynamic or dynamite. Have you ever just heard a a message from a man on fire and said, I'm going to date myself with an old TV show. That's dynamite. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you do. And if you do, you may have a little sprinkling of gray hair going on. It's an old TV show. Famous guy said that. Anyway, but that's what we want. We want when the Bible's open, we want a boom. We want the power of the scriptures to be unveiled. And Apollos was mighty in the scriptures. Listen to this. John Brodus, one of the founders of the Southern Baptist Seminary, author of the most influential book on preaching ever written in America, was lecturing his seminary class just nine days before he died. He paused, he looked at his class, and he said, Gentlemen, if this were the last time I should ever be permitted to address you, I would feel amply repaid for consuming the whole hour endeavoring to impress upon you these two things. Now, there's all these seminary students there. He said, one, true piety, live a godly life. And two, be like 
Apollos. Be men mighty in the scriptures. Brodus then paused nine days before his death now. He stood for a moment with his piercing eyes fixed upon the class. Over and over he repeated this phrase, slow but wonderfully impressive style that he had, distinctly his own. He looked at the class and said, mighty in the scriptures, mighty in the scriptures, mighty in the scriptures. I'm sure those seminary students never forget, forgot that sermon because their teacher went home to be with the Lord nine days later. Today, we have a desperate need for more men and women to be described as mighty in the scriptures. Would you agree? There's a famine in the land, have you noticed? The famine in the land is for men and women to be mighty in the scriptures, for pulpits once again to thunder the truth of the Bible, unashamedly, Yes, with grace. Yes, with compassion, but with passion. And that is another thing that you're going to notice about this particular man named Apollos. This man, 25, had been instructed in the way of the Lord. That could be a way the Old Testament describes of knowing God's ways. And I think he was an expert in the Old Testament. You can write down Genesis 18:19, where Abraham would keep the way of the Lord, and also Judges 2:22. Now, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he was, he was uh, very fervent, being fervent. This word fervent is zeo. It means to boil with heat. Picture boiling water. You've got the word. He was on fire. He was logic on fire. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being, only, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. So even though he was highly educated, mighty in the Bible, He only knew the baptism of John. What was John's baptism? It was preparatory. It was a baptism of repentance looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, but he didn't know everything about the new covenant. He didn't know everything about the cross. He didn't know everything about the resurrection. He didn't know everything about imputed righteousness. He didn't know everything about the current intercessory ministry of Jesus. But there he was, preaching what he knew. And he's radically on fire but this is his knowledge is somewhat limited i ask you are you the second case study are you a person maybe you know some of the bible maybe you are very zealous for what you believe but you lack a full knowledge of the new covenant you lack knowledge of the gospel of grace and maybe you need a little bit more precision in your life so he began to speak out 26 boldly in the synagogue But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and I think they had to be pleasantly surprised, they took him aside. They didn't rebuke him publicly because he wasn't really, uh, he just lacked full knowledge. And they explained to him, maybe invited him to lunch, the way of God more accurately. The NIV says more adequately. The word here speaks of precision, exactness, carefulness. He just needed to know a little bit more. And he would be even more effective. Is that you? You have a certain base of knowledge right now, but you could be learning more. And you've come into a church like this, and praise God, I pray you're being challenged. I pray you're being challenged to go deeper, to know the Bible better. I remember when I was a young Christian, the pastor would say, turn to Zephaniah, and I would go, what? And then there would be that person next to me had those cheater tabs. Have you seen those cheater tabs? All the books are there. And some people are going, I don't want to see my 
right? There's 66 books. I know, it's not easy to memorize where they all are. And sometimes when I say to turn to Zephaniah, I had to check and see where Zephaniah was before I preached it to you. So don't, don't feel bad. But the only way you can learn the Bible is to be in the Bible. And sometimes when a pastor says, turn to numbers, and you're going, can you give me the number of the page? What do you mean? That's how you learn. You grow. And as I was sitting in church coming up as a young Christian, that's how I grew. I would try to cheat on, where's that book again? Or I tried to act like I knew where it was. Anybody do this? I know where that book is. I've just taken my time to get there. That's all that's going on here. I think that's why some people actually stay away from some smaller Bible studies. They're a little bit embarrassed. I just don't know enough. If I go there, I know they're going to call upon me. They're going to ask me some deep... Look, we only do that the first time you come. After that, we ask you to shave your head. And that... No, I'm just kidding. So here he is, right? This wonderful couple takes... Apollos, very learned, very on fire, but lacking a little in precision, and they cheer him on. Are you a husband and wife couple that maybe you've noticed a person around you that you could give a little bit more precision about the gospel? They seem to be on fire. They even have a good working knowledge, but they're, they're falling short somewhere. You could, mean, you could be an encourager to that kind of person. So when he wanted to go across to Achaia, Corinth was the capital of Achaia, and that's where Paul had been for a while, the brethren, that is the Christians in Ephesus 27, encouraged him. So he had this heart to go to Corinth, newfound knowledge of the gospel, and he wrote to the disciples, they, they wrote to the disciples, the church did, to welcome him. So they made the way for him. And when he arrived, notice, with this newfound knowledge, he helped greatly those who had believed. How? What's your Bible say? Through grace. How are we saved? Through grace. That's how the Corinthians were saved because if you saw the Corinthian church in the first century, you'd probably look at most of the people in that church and say, they're not saved. All kinds of problems in Corinth. And Apollos goes there and he helped them greatly. When you get knowledge, it is not just to store more knowledge in your life. You get knowledge to give it away. Amen? Going and listening to a sermon is wonderful. Growing in your own faith is great, but it is intended for you to do something with it to help others. Maybe a coworker, maybe a neighbor, maybe a family member that's being attacked by a cultic group right now. And they're saying to you, they're throwing up their hands. I don't know what to tell these people. They seem to be, and you're like, I don't know either. I never, right? Sometimes when we're dealing with situations like that, it forces us back to our Bible. Not only was he encouraging others, 28, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. This idea of refuted means he smashed his opponents, demonstrating how? By the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. I think the church in Corinth was probably under some doctrinal attacks, maybe even by the Judaizing heresy that you have to be circumcised and keep the food laws to be saved. And, and Apollo showed up there and said, wait a minute, uh-uh, no you don't. And he protected the little new church with his own knowledge of the scriptures. We need that, folks. There's a battle going on. And we need men and women mighty in the scriptures who can come along and say, you know what? No, Jesus is the Messiah. Let me show you why from the Bible. That's what Apollos was able to do. 
But the Corinthians were so immature and young about their faith that Paul said, I can't treat you as spiritual, but as babies in Christ. Or one of you says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos. Are you, are you not mere men? Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God brought the increase. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Hey, this is Pastor Michael. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio today. Excited that you've joined us. Tell a friend about the program you're hearing here. And please keep us in prayer. We have some uh, exciting open doors for new radio stations. We have some exciting opportunities for some new time slots. And we could really use your prayer and your support. If you can give to the ongoing ministry of Living Truth Radio, we'd deeply appreciate it. It takes funds to be on the radio, and we're not a huge congregation, and we appreciate the support that we get from radio listeners. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. If you're anywhere near the Inland Empire and you don't have a home fellowship, you're not connected with a local church, we'd love to invite you to Living Truth Christian Fellowship. The radio ministry that you hear Monday through Friday on your station or on the weekend is really just an extension of the normal pulpit ministry in the life of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. And for those of you who are out of state or out of our area, we consider you family members as well. Uh, Living Truth certainly doesn't replace your local church, but we know you listen and we know you're praying for us and we appreciate it. Thank you for the support that you give to us, the encouragement, the emails that you send. We, we deeply appreciate it. And we know that even when you don't send an email, that you are still part of what's going on and part of the listening family. And we, we appreciate you and we look forward to interacting with you again. If we can be of any help to you, send us an email or a message through the website, livingtruthcorona.org, or you can call us Monday through Friday. We're here 9 to 5 Pacific time at... 951-735-2856. God bless you. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch up to you next time. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible, and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Hey, I want to invite you to visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org to get more familiar with our church fellowship. If you live in the Inland Empire and don't have a church home, come and worship with us. We have a wonderful church family that meets here in the city of Corona. Our service times are 9th and 11.15 a.m. You can get more information about that at the website. That's livingtruthcorona.org. God bless you.